All right, good afternoon, everyone. I'm going to start reading from Acts 3. Please join me. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gates called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He has you have handed him over to be killed, and you have disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophet and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. 
but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for reading for us, Emma. It's great to be with you, everyone. Uh, my name's Sam. I'm one of the pastors here at St. Jude's. I lead our, our uni church congregation that you normally see arriving as you're kind of finishing up your time together on a Sunday night. Uh, it's a joy to be with you tonight exploring this uh, really exciting passage. There is heaps that I would love to talk about uh, to spend time on this passage, so we're just going to dive straight in, try and get the most out of the time we've got. Peter and John uh, are going to the temple at the time of prayer. Peter has kind of emerged as the leader among the apostles, uh, as Jesus had called him to be. And so they're going to the temple, it's in the afternoon, and there's this man who was lame there, whose, whose legs uh, aren't working, and so he's spent his life begging there in that spot. They have this quite uh, intense interaction. Peter and John declare healing in the name of Jesus. The man's legs are healed. He goes into the temple praising the Lord, uh, and Peter then explains what's happened to the crowd, points them to Jesus. So what we're going to do is, is kind of reflect on this story, on the narrative that happens here, and then we'll consider Peter's sermon as he explains what's happening. James, can I have that mic so we don't have to listen to that the whole time? <laughs> so here's, here's the thing that really stands out to me about the, the narrative, the story itself, right? The disciples have taken the baton from Jesus. I wonder if uh, when you were a kid in school you ever ran a relay race. I ran lots of relay races and it was really the only race I ran because the relay was the participation race, right? Where it's easy to get lots of kids uh, in there, get them all having their go on athletics day. I remember standing in that little zone watching my teammate kind of charging up the track towards me, holding out this little metal tube, this, this baton, uh, and feeling the pressure, right, waiting there, needing to take it from him as he hands it to me after that line, but before that line, while there's people charging past all around, and then take off with the baton and pass it on uh, to the runner ahead. Well, this, this story is, is like the runner receiving a baton and, and taking off at full speed. As Luke, uh, the author of Acts, and who wrote Luke's gospel as well, as he put it at the start of Acts, the start of this book, he said, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. This is, this is that playing out. The story shows that the disciples are, are taking the baton from Jesus because it reads like a Jesus story, Right? It's, it's just like a Jesus story from the Gospels. They're doing what Jesus did. They've taken the baton from Jesus. Much of, of Jesus' ministry happened at the temple. Jesus healed the lame and the sick. Jesus dignified the poor, the marginalized, the outcast with this kind of direct relationship. He restored the unclean with physical touch. Jesus healed people not just to fix their bodies, but to restore their relationship with God, as happens for this man here. Even, even the response of the people who saw it 
is a mirror of a Jesus story, right? The crowd was filled with wonder and amazement at what happened, the passage says. So, so you would call Peter and John copycats, right, or, or imitators. You'd say that this was, this was derivative or unoriginal or that they're just mimicking Jesus, except that they've got the same miraculous power that Jesus carried, right, power to heal, to declare the good news. These apostles have they've assumed the, the mantle of Christ. They've taken on the role of Christ. They're continuing as witnesses of Christ. One commentator writes, Peter is able to do the kind of thing that Jesus did by acting in the name of Jesus. Thus, the continuity between the ministry of Jesus and the witness of the church is expressed in this passage. And, and that, that baton is still being passed from one to another, isn't it? It's a journey that hasn't ended yet. Peter and John passed it to someone else who passed it to someone else. Paul passed it to Timothy, urged him to pass it to others who would be suitable to pass it to others still. And on and on, the relay has gone. And now we hold the baton of the gospel. It's a great journey of our lives to continue this race, to pass it on to others as the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. So that, that's, that's the first kind of, I guess, re- reflection on this story. It's, it's like a Jesus story. And so it shows the followers of Jesus taking the baton from Jesus as his witnesses. I think, I think it's good for us then to spend a few minutes uh, doing some, some hermeneutics together, which is kind of the technical word for how we interpret the Bible. We're going to dig in a little bit uh, deeper into what's going on in this passage. And there's a question which I think the passage puts in front of us as we see the disciples take the baton from Jesus. And we see it in all kinds of passages throughout Acts. The, you might have... Um, kind of wrestled with this question before. Is Acts prescriptive or is it descriptive? Is Acts prescriptive or is it descriptive? Does it prescribe the way things should be or describe the way things were? It's a really important question for lots of passages in Acts. And in, in an answer that you might find somewhat unsatisfying. I think it's probably somewhere in between, right? Acts absolutely includes uh, models, patterns, uh, exemplars, people and and things we should imitate. We shouldn't just say Acts is is descriptive. I think that that would oversimplify what's going on in Acts and, and minimize our experience of the Christian life. But Acts also includes events which aren't part of our Christian life now, right? And I don't think we should expect them to be. For example, when God finds Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira lying and so he strikes them dead. Right? I, I certainly hope that's not part of our Christian experience now. Whether Acts is, is descriptive or prescriptive is an, a really important interpretive question. Uh, it, it's one that we had to wrestle with last week when we looked at the description of the first Christian church in Acts Chapter 2, how much of their life should we imitate in our life? Should we expect church to look like this? And it's definitely an important question for today's passage. 
Why, why do you think this passage requires us to ask that question? Why does, it, why does it matter whether this passage is prescriptive or descriptive? Well, because as Jesus' followers take the baton from Jesus, what do they do? They perform miracles. Should we do that? Should we perform? Should we see miracles today? Scholars estimate that 80% of new Christians in Nepal, which is one of the fastest growing churches in the world, come to faith through an experience of miraculous healing or deliverance from demonic spirits. The, the stats kind of vary, but perhaps as many as 90% of new converts to house churches in China credit their conversion to a healing. In Kenya, 71% of Christians say that they've witnessed divine healing. Even in the relatively skeptical United States, 29% of survey respondents claim they've seen a miracle. Miracles are a part of the life and expectations of many Christian denominations and people in Australia and around the world. What should we make of this? Should we expect to see miracles? Well, to kind of work towards an answer here, let's, let's think about what miracles are for in the Bible. In the Old Testament, Miracles, they authenticate, they verify the person bringing the word of God. So think of, of Moses, the miracles he performed, or the prophets as the men of God. Their miracles verified and authenticated the message that they brought from God. And in the ministry of Jesus himself then, we find a huge cluster of miracles, many more in a short period than recorded anywhere else in scripture. And, and John says that there are far more still that haven't been written down. As miracles authenticated the message of Moses and the prophets, so they authenticate the words of, of Jesus, the gospel which he preaches. Jesus does more miracles than Moses and the prophets. And in fact, his miracles are often shaped carefully to, to echo and surpass the miracles of Moses and the prophets. He exercises power over sickness, over nature, over demons, even over death. And Jesus' miracles also point forward to the kingdom that he's bringing in. They're early glimpses of a restored world without any sickness or, or hunger or disability or death. And incredibly then, as we come to this, this part of salvation history... After the indwelling of the Spirit at Pentecost, Jesus' followers begin performing miracles. The, the first of which, uh, after their speaking in tongues, is in our very passage. Why? Why do they perform miracles? Well, I really like how one writer puts it. The miracles of the early church then served an immediately relevant purpose in redemptive history, verifying the authenticity of God's revelation and signalling the coming of the new eschatological age among God's people. Does that make sense? 
and that sounds a little bit technical, that the, the remarkable frequency and intensity of miracles in the early days of the Christian church serve a really unique purpose in authenticating Jesus' followers as the ones holding the baton. They show that what Jesus began, these people are continuing. The kingdom of God which began in Jesus is now spreading through the world. So so should we expect miracles then as we hold the baton? That's, That's the pointy kind of tip of the question about miracles really, isn't it? Well, I think the sheer kind of volume and and frequency of miracles in Acts plays a a specific and unique purpose in God's redemptive plan. I don't think we should expect things to be exactly the same now as in Acts. But that doesn't mean that miracles have, have ceased today. I don't think there's good reason to say that miracles never happen today, though I think there is good reason to not expect the same volume, the same frequency of miracles as we see in Acts. And there's certainly a wide range of experiences of individuals and churches across the world regarding miracles today, right? Some churches, some teachers have a really high focus on seeing miraculous uh, events, perhaps healing or other events like that. And it's often in that pattern of, of authenticating the preaching of the gospel, demonstrating God's power. Often through, through authenticating to an individual person kind of level rather than a salvation history level. And it seems that miracles often occur in places where the gospel is breaking new ground, uh, along with things like visions and dreams, perhaps where access to scripture is low. And of course, there's, there's mystery here as we try to understand if and how and, and when and why God intervenes to disrupt the natural order. We're not going to get a, a full and complete answer. But we should avoid two errors, I think. On the one hand, we shouldn't go hunting for miracles for their own sake, right? Miracles are called signs by Jesus, and they're called signs for a reason, because they point to something. They point to him and his power and his kingdom. And it's him and his kingdom which we should seek, not miracles themselves, right, as if they were a fireworks show or a magic trick. On the other hand, and and maybe for a lot of us in the room, this is what we're more likely to, to tend towards. We shouldn't treat miracles as either impossible or as kind of primitive or, or silly. Right? If you're a Christian, you worship a, a supernatural God. The physical universe is not a closed system. You believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Why wouldn't we believe that God is still capable of miracles today? We'll continue to witness miracles through our series in Acts, and we'll continue to wrestle with the question of whether to expect them in the life of the church today and and their role in the life of the church. But for now, I want to make one one really important observation about the miracle here in Acts chapter 3. This spirit-empowered miracle leads to the preaching of Christ and the worship of Christ. The spirit-empowered miracle leads to the preaching of Christ and the worship of Christ. 
this, this passage and this miracle is profoundly oriented towards Jesus. It's centered on Jesus. Right? Peter's interpretation of the healing is profoundly centered on Jesus. So let's use uh, the time that we have left to, to think about Peter's short sermon here as he explains what's happening and how the people respond. So have a look in front of you uh, in your new sheet or in your Bible uh, at verse 11. The man's, he's holding on to Peter and John. He's, he's clinging on to them. His life has been completely and utterly changed by the power of Jesus. And the crowds come running to see what's going on. It's continuing to be just like a Jesus story, right? This is echoes of lots of healing stories in the Gospels. And so Peter, as Jesus often did, explains what's happening. He preaches a sermon. He presents the gospel and calls people to repentance and faith, just like he did in chapter 2 at Pentecost. We don't have time to kind of swim through the sermon phrase by phrase, but here's kind of the flow of what Peter preaches on that day uh, on the screen. So, so he's explaining that this miracle that we've seen here was by the power of God. Then he takes kind of a hard turn and, and goes really hard at the people listening. He says, you are guilty of rejecting Jesus. And then he shows that it's this very Jesus whose power this miracle was performed by. This miracle was by the power of the same Jesus that they rejected and calls them to faith in him. You can find salvation in this very same Jesus. It's kind of the flow of, of Peter's explanation here. And, and Peter's gospel presentation is personal, it's compelling, it's humbling, it's supernatural, it's life-changing. Peter's gospel presentation is, is personal and compelling and humbling and supernatural and life-changing. I wonder, have you ever heard news that changed your life? Maybe news like you've got the job or it's terminal or I want a divorce. I remember receiving news like that, standing in the kitchen and my wife, Ronnie, telling me that the test was positive. Pregnancy test, not COVID test. I've had that news too, but it's not so life-changing. There's, there's news that changes our lives at an individual level and there's news that, that changes the world, right? Victory in Europe. I, I remember watching on TV as a child as uh, the second plane flew into the World Trade, Trade Center uh, in New York on September 11, 2001. And, and even as a child, recognizing that this was news that would change the world. Well, there, there is no news so world-changing and so life-changing as the news that Peter preached that day. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. 
that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, Jesus. That is the news. That's the message which this miracle happened to authenticate. That's what this sign was pointing to. Right, that Jesus of Nazareth, that the real historical figure, the teacher, the miracle worker, who was crucified, who was executed for crimes he didn't commit, that he rose from the dead, that he is God, that he died to pay the penalty for our human evil, that he rose in triumph and that he has made a way for you and for me to know God forever. That's the good news that Peter preached that day, that there is a God and that he loves us, that he loves you, that he is not distant, he is not harsh, that he is full of love and grace and forgiveness and that he wants you to know him. That's the, that's the good news of this day. That's what we call the gospel. And this news is news which, which demanded a response. And it demands a response from us. This good news, this, this gospel, is a declaration that Jesus of Nazareth has defeated sin and death for us. And it's an invitation to find life now and forever in him. It's news which, which does something in our hearts. Peter and John, they, they get locked up at the end of our passage here, at the start of chapter four, right? Because again, this is just like for Jesus as they're taking the baton, the, the leaders of the people are threatened by them and try to shut them down. But as Peter and John sit there in prison because of their witness to Jesus, people outside were talking, praying together, quietly placing their faith in Jesus. Men and women and children in hushed tones coming to saving faith in Jesus by the hundreds, by the thousands. That's what this good news does. If you, if you have never responded to this good news, if you've never believed this good news, maybe today is the day. This is the most important news you will ever hear. It's the news that changes the world. It's the news that changes our lives. And you could respond like the leaders in this passage because like for them, this news threatens to change everything. They know that their power is challenged by this good news. You know that your whole life your priorities, your values, your loves, your relationships, they're all challenged by this good news. You, you could reject it. Or, like this grassroots movement in Acts that's just beginning to take off like wildfire, you could begin the biggest adventure of your life by believing this good news, by placing your faith in this Jesus. 
If you want to do that, if you want to respond to this good news in belief, then please talk to someone. If you have a friend here, talk to them. If not, I would love to talk to you after the service or James who's leading or Nat, someone you know here. But, but do something. Don't just leave it. That's the worst thing you could do. Because when people like you and me put our faith in Jesus, that's, that's the biggest miracle of all. Let me pray that that would happen. God, we thank you for Jesus, the holy and righteous one. The one through whom we may have our sins wiped away, find times of refreshing for the Lord, have hope for this life and the life to come. Thank you for the good news of what he's done for us. And we pray, Lord, that each of us would respond to this good news with repentance and faith and following Jesus. For anyone here, Lord, who hasn't responded to this good news, I pray that you would help us to do so with faith. And for all of us, Lord, I pray that our lives would be lives of faith, lives taking up the baton of Jesus to take the gospel to the ends of the earth for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen.